Hello and welcome to Really Rated, the movie review podcast. I'm your host, Mitchell Stevens, and today I'm joined by my nocturnal animal, Jess. <laughs> <laughs> I can't even argue oh. with you. I'm not even sure that is a um, compliment, <laughs> given the terms of how it's used in the film. Well, we all make mistakes, don't we? <laughs> so if you haven't guessed, today we'll be talking about nocturnal animals. It is a Tom Ford film. And is it 2016, Jess? Is it May? Uh, Released? Tw- yeah, 2016, yep. And it was directed and written by Tom Ford. I didn't get the other writer because I don't think he did it on his own, did he? It's, it's based off a book, so it's probably... The writer. Yeah, it's probably Austin Wright. So his other directorial debut and his only other film <laughs> is A Single Man, or is it The Single Man? A Single Man. A yeah. Single Man. And I know I've seen it, but I can't remember for the life of me what it's about and if I enjoyed it. <laughs> um, it's about... It's, it's, Colin, it's Colin Firth and he's... It's about a man whose partner dies in a car accident, I believe. And it's like, it's really good because it's it's almost a bit like this in that nothing really happens like within the actual, the present of the narrative. It's all kind of shown in flashback, kind of like this one. And it's, 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 it's not really about anything really, it's just about his relationship with him and like how they met and stuff. It's quite, and obviously what it's like now for him because now he's single, he hasn't got any children. Because they were same sex, so like they never had any children or anything. And I think he isolated himself quite a lot from everybody. Um, I think it's set sort of in a bit of a hostile environment. But it's really good. The only thing I remember from the film is that it has Julianne Moore. Yeah, she plays his friend, doesn't she? And does she pine for him? Am I misremembering that? Yeah, I think she does. It's set, is it set in the... I feel, I feel like it's set in the 60s. I remember her like outfit and stuff yeah. and haircut and makeup being very... And they have the whole kind of like um, her, like him and his friends are all sort of part of that bougie elite. Yeah. And is it in LA? I think it is. Similar to this. Because when I was watching the beginning of the film and and you meet Cleo and, no, no, not Cleo. Is it Cleo and Theo? Am I making it up? He's Theo, know that. Alessia. Alessia. <laughs> Cleo and Theo. <laughs> <laughs> we can call her Cleo. She looks like Cleo. <laughs> Let's call her Cleo in a little caftan. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> She's very out there. I don't know if it was on purpose or not, but those two, like Michael Sheen and is it Andrea Raysborough, those two reminded me a lot of the kind of like bougie elite that you saw in The Single Man. So I don't know if that was a nod to his other film. Well, I think because Tom Ford is like a very fashionable, a fashionable fashion designer. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's his style. He likes the kind of the upper class sort of very, very fashionable, very mode sort of um, sort of feel for a lot of his setting. Not all of them, because I don't think that the rest of the movie is like that, actually. No, I think it's a bit of a departure for him as well because his first one, like A Single Man, it felt very, from what I can remember of the film, because I always have like, it, it feels very golden, that film, in my memory. I remember it being very like, almost like, I don't know how to describe it, not monochrome, but like, you know how these sort of like LA houses are very sort of like, kind of pristine and white and he wears, I think he wears a lot of black and it's kind of almost monochrome in how it looks. Like, yeah, I think it is quite golden. It's usually like, I think it's kind of shot a lot at sunset and um, sunrise and stuff. But yeah, that's what I'm remembering. Yeah, but I haven't watched it in oh god a long time, so I couldn't tell you the specifics. No, neither can I. So let's move on quickly. From <laughs> <laughs> it's just, it's just that when so let's talk about Nocturnal Animals. We're going to jump straight into this film because I haven't got a lot to say about Tom Ford as a director because this is only his second film really, and apart from him being a very successful fashion designer, and I don't know that much about him, but 
what I do know about him is these two films and how he seems to have already developed a signature style like you mentioned like how he he presents a lot of his shots in a kind of like you said a kind of mode kind of way in terms of it's almost like a painting but I don't feel like it's arty farty though it's a weird kind of like on the fence in my mind between arty and actually very competent direction because you know how sometimes you watch a movie and it is all style it's all style over substance and you're just you're like yeah well it looks kind of pretty but nothing's going on I I don't feel like that with his movies I feel like I'm still engaged the whole way through with like the, the characters I think it's unfair for people to kind of criticize him and say oh well He's a fashion designer, so he's not going to be a good director. I think it's actually probably helped him a lot with the way humans move and things like that. Like, he's quite... To me, it seems like he should have been director all along. <laughs> no, honestly. No, I, I was thinking that last night because obviously I'd only seen A Single Man before this, obviously, because it's his only other film that he's made. And that film was released to quite a lot of critical acclaim. For me, it's almost like the film, and it's quite apt really, him being a fashion designer, it feels like every scene is kind of like a setup for a photo shoot. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that is true. Yeah, everything's lit perfectly. Everything has, it seems to have its place. And not not in the not in the inside narrative though. No, exactly. And that's where I think this is a departure for him. And I think I would eagerly wait for his, you know, third film because I'd want to see if he's going to go in that direction more. Because like you said, in story narrative because in my notes I was calling it the novel. Because <laughs> <laughs> in the novel parts, it's very um like I mentioned earlier, he's got that golden aesthetic back, especially during the sunset and actually a lot of the scenes following the actual um incident itself because obviously the incident itself happened at night yeah it all looks kind of um dirty and a very kind of like no country for old men type yeah yeah aesthetic <laughs> definitely so he's definitely been inspired by that film which i can't blame him <laughs> maybe that's why maybe that's why i like this film so much because i love all the i love all the modern westerns so <laughs> oh same yeah i enjoy modern westerns a lot more than old westerns but it's it's still a signature look like look for the film that i can't put my finger on because when I was watching it, I had the whole, you know, oh, oh, that yeah. scene was so good. Yeah. <laughs> but I can't put my finger on why. And I think it might be just how stylish it looked. Because in all the scenes when we're dealing with Susan, which is uh, played by Amy Adams, she looks so effortlessly stylized, mm. but also dark at the same time. I thought like her character was really like interesting, actually, because even though she doesn't actually do very much, does she? No. I thought she was a she was really interesting because she was sort of this sad like kind of product of her environment that was kind of almost a bit like you know um like amy elliott in gone girl yeah she she was kind of suckered into this life that she didn't actually want threw away everything that she did want and it's a bit like she's she's having one of those midlife crisis type things of like for what you know what what do i have you know my husband is my husband is cheating on me my daughter I don't speak to you very often, it seems like. She doesn't seem to have many friends. The only friends that you see are like Carlos and Alessia. And she even says, you know, I don't know why I told you something about my about my life because we're not even that close sort of thing. And you sort of think, well, who are your friends then? If you've, you know, if you've got no friends to tell your your woes to. <laughs> then Yeah, like, because 
Amy Adams, like I will, I never doubt Amy Adams when I see her on screen. Like when I see her, I always think, right, we're in for a comfortable ride in terms because she's such an accomplished actress in terms of the difficult emotions that she can emote. So even when she's keeping, like you said, she's she's keeping friends at bay, like at an arm's length, and it's that so easily could have translated to the audience as well. But I never at any point feel like I don't know this character. I suppose it's the narrative as well, like, and the way that we see sort of like intimate moments of her when she's not around anyone else. And but we're, the, you know, it's almost like we're like peeping Tom on her, like on her, like we're seeing her at her most like darkest. But she could have been the bitch. And there are certain points when she is totally sort of rude to people, like you said, with um, Alicia. Uh, she totally cuts her off at points when she's sort of trying to get to know her. And also that bit where she's um, in the meeting with all those artists and she turns to that woman and she's go, oh, got work done. <laughs> yeah. I, I just couldn't believe it. I was thinking, like, you know, you wouldn't say that to someone. But, Ab, she do you know, but you know what, though? I read that as that's the kind of culture they're in, as in, like, in L.A. or like in the art world and stuff. Work, like, getting work done is so, like, getting your teeth cleaned. Yeah, true. That... It wasn't actually, I don't think she actually meant it as a slight necessarily. I think she just noticed that her face looked different and assumed it was work. (laughs) But it wasn't, it was a haircut. (laughs) I don't know, those those lips looked a bit (laughs) official. But no, I, I actually thought that for a character that's not, doesn't necessarily have many likable scenes, I actually found her very sympathetic, I must say. I don't know if that's to do with the fact that it's Amy Adams playing her. I don't know whether or not if it was somebody else, I might be a bit more like unsympathetic. No, it's definitely it's definitely the character. I agree. But yeah, so shall we sum up what the basic plot? Although if 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 anybody hasn't watched this, I would definitely recommend going away and watching it before coming back to us because yeah, I'm glad you said that because I was going to actually do a pre bumper for people because we can sum up the plot for you in the most simplistic terms i can't say that word but unless you've seen the film i think you will be lost in the fact that we're going to jump around from different narratives and discuss things out of order yeah just because that's the way i've taken my notes down and also there's some big topics that i want to talk about which is going to jump from different plot threads so do you want to sum up with the plot have you got an easy way to sum it up i'll try um <laughs> i'll try <laughs> i don't know if i'll succeed give it a go um So essentially you have an upper class kind of art gallery owner who wanted to be an artist when she was younger, but for a lot of reasons, financial relationship, all sorts of reasons, she decided to kind of throw that away and go into actual the business side of of art. She's married to Hutton, (laughs) which is a very la-di-da name. He's so dashing. He's so dashing. (laughs) (laughs) He's, she's married to Dashing Hutton and things are obviously not going very well. You can see from that that their relationship is strained. He's clearly like going away and cheating on her all the time and it ain't good. They have a daughter who I think is probably just graduated college, it seems like, from the age. And she used to be in a relationship with a man called Edward who sends her a manuscript for a novel that he's just written as she reads it, it comes clear that she feels that it's a bit of a, a thinly veiled threat, so to speak. The characters are based around their life they had together and the emotions that he f- felt around their breakup um, that we'll go into. And 
essentially it's, it's a character study on their relationship how they broke up and his feelings of toxic masculinity and all that kind of fun juicy stuff on that note because i definitely wrote a massive <laughs> notes on toxic ma- toxic masculinity i can't even say that <laughs> toxic masculinity <laughs> simplistically it is toxic masculinity <laughs> it basically is though basically so let's talk about the novel part we'll jump in and out but like so when susan starts reading the novel we meet this character that at first like I was watching this on Google and it told me that his name was Edward Hastings. So I think it, it spoiled the what the what the character is meant to be a representation of. But it's not. It's Tony Hastings, isn't it? No, the the, the writer is Edward Sheffield. But the character is of the Tony, novel is Tony Hastings. Tony Hastings. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I will refer to him as Tony. If I slip okay. up and call him Edward, then you know why. Okay. <laughs> so we first meet Tony, um, his daughter India, and. What's his wife's name? She's played by Isla Fisher. She is. And her name is Laura, but I don't think he says it much in the movie, to be honest. Okay, Laura. So yeah, when we meet them, their story, and I'm not going to go into it too much, so you go watch the film, but when the incident happens involving Aaron Taylor Johnson and his cronies, you know when they're on the side of the road yeah, and you see Jake Gyllenhaal trying to sort of... You can, you can so sympathise with him and empathise as well because... When you're in a situation which is very uncomfortable and you're dealing with people who are so unreasonable, yeah, you just want to try and, you know, pacify them and and keep things as smooth as possible just to get out of this situation. You don't want to escalate it in any way because if you escalate it, because you're dealing with unreasonable characters, like when Aaron Taylor Johnson's character, Ray, he's been so kind of aggressive with them and he's obviously clearly in the wrong. The way they were driving and everything to do with what led up to them being, you know, essentially pulled off the road by him. Yeah. You, you're you so behind Jake Gyllenhaal because he's just trying to keep things as smooth as possible and try and say to him, but you're in the wrong. It's not me, it's you. Yeah. And every which way he tries to keep things, you know, calm and protect his family. Ray just, obviously he's there for a reason because he's trying to cause trouble. Yeah. And I had this ache in my stomach where i was just like this is going to go wrong yeah so you might as well just turn violent yeah get (laughs) over and turn violent right now yeah no i felt i felt the same actually i thought it was really well written and directed because from the very first kind of like the bit where they come up on the road and they're like bashing them and such yeah i felt yeah i actually felt sick to my stomach because i it was a complete feeling of dread i loved how he intercut the shots of the just the, the road in the dark because I feel like in any movie when they do that it always makes you feel super on edge because yeah same as when you're driving in real life if if you've only got your headlights and you can't see anything but black it does it makes you feel super hyper aware because you're waiting for something to jump out you know or a reason to stop so I thought everything that he, that he did in that scene building up was really clever in that <clears throat> it just made you feel awkward and full of dread and you knew that something bad was going to happen even before it did happen and every time that his daughter said something i was like just shut up oh, yeah, no. <laughs> you know and i and obviously that sort of thing has to happen in a script otherwise you don't have a movie do you but i could totally sympathize with his character like you said in that he doesn't know what to do and i I found it very, very clever also in that... So you know when um, they drop him off at the end of that road, that dirt road and he, and he hides from, from them? Yeah. 
and then the the cop who we meet later when he when he tells them about it uh when he tells the cops about about what happened the cop he works with bobby his name's bobby isn't it yeah bobby bobby anders that's it when bobby says to him like why didn't you get up why didn't you do anything i just thought that's so sad because if i had been in jake in um in tony's shoes i don't know that i would have gotten up either no because he doesn't know they're so unpredictable he doesn't know what they're gonna do he's thinking to himself i need to keep myself alive so that i can help them if i stand up they're gonna shoot me yeah because even though you never see a gun and he he does ask him did they have guns he said no they might well have had a gun he didn't know that yeah so and but i think a lot of the times the things that bobby says he i think he acts like a conduit for like his self his subconscious you know like he'll ask him all of the kind of uncomfortable questions that he doesn't want to ask himself why didn't you do this why didn't you do that yeah and i thought that was really sad because <sighs> for the, for the I, know, I know it's not a real story but the feeling of helplessness that he's lost his wife and daughter in the same way that edward obviously the novelist felt when he got so spoiler alert don't listen if you haven't watched it. Yeah. His, when Edward and Susan's relationship comes to an end, because they're engaged and she's pregnant, she leaves him and aborts his baby to go off and be with Hutton. And to me, that was just like a straight up metaphor for like him losing his wife and child. Oh yeah, definitely, yeah. Because while I was watching the film, it got to a certain point where, like, obviously, because I had the description of the film beforehand, like, I knew the story is that this woman gets a novel from her ex-husband. So when we got to the point where they find uh, India and Laura's dead bodies, and then we reveal, sorry, it is revealed for us that Susan ultimately leaves Edward and blah, blah, blah. The novel clearly came into focus as him writing down his emotions and putting to paper his story of how he felt following her leaving him because you know in parts when you see Susan and Edward in the past and they're having marital problems and the part that really resonated with me so much was the bit where he had her read some of his work yeah and she just couldn't seem to understand where he was coming from in that because she said to him it's clearly you and he's like, well, clearly it's me because writers put themselves on the page. Yeah. And she couldn't seem to understand that when you're critiquing his work, you're critiquing him. And so seeing that scene, it so resonated so deeply with how he feels as a man in terms of what we see in the story of Anthony and the parts where his masculinity is being called into question. And it also the surrounding is because it's in Texas and a very kind of like stereotypically strong cowboy setting. Yeah. So when he's surrounded by all these sort of like masculine, manly men, he feels so inadequate and it makes you feel so inadequate watching him. But it also makes you feel frustrated. So you know the part where you said that Bobby said, why didn't you stand up? Or yeah. he's basically saying to him, why didn't you fight back without actually saying it? Yeah. And you feel that. I did find myself being like, just go balls to the wall. Just let your anger out. Let your frustration out. But at the same time, that's not who he is. And it's unreasonable for us to put that on him. Because if we were all like that, society would <laughs> fall apart. You know, it'd be one massive anarchy. Yeah. And that's why <laughs> Ray as a character was so frustrating for me. Yeah. Because him being such a dick 
but he clearly is presented as the alpha male in the film. Like Jake Gyllenhaal's character is the beta male in the dynamic of like toxic masculinity and that sort of thing. Yeah. Did, did you did you notice that sometimes during the story within the story, some of the dialogue and things that happened, I was sat there thinking, this is a bit cheesy. This would never happen. This is too easy. What parts? The whole after the like it's basically as soon as you get to like the bit where he meets Bobby and they kind of pursue the criminals. Yeah. To me it felt very, very amateur. As in but but hear me out. Like the way that they just kind of happen to fall upon the criminals. Oh there he is. Oh yes, that's the guy. Oh, we're at his house. <laughs> there he is, that's the guy. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. If I was I was watching it and like and I at first it kind of I twigged and I thought oh god I don't think this is working like I think whoever wrote this script is sort of trying to rush it through and then I realized this is Edward's work this is Edward's writing it's a first draft of his novella so it's not gonna be so it's not gonna be polished it's gonna be rushed it's gonna have mistakes in it that the characters are gonna talk in a way that film characters probably wouldn't talk to be convincing if you see what I mean? Like, I totally agree, because moments of the novella, you, I was sitting there thinking to myself, well, first of all, that wouldn't happen. Like, you know the bit where, like, I mean, I don't have intimate knowledge of Texas and that sort of thing. You know, mm. obviously, their law system might be a bit different to, you know, the big city and stuff like that. Yeah. But you know the part where he brings um, Louis, was it Louis? Lou. Lou, in the lineup. Yeah. I was thinking to myself, well, they wouldn't put a witness slash whoever you know to identify them in the room with them because it gives power to the attorney if it was to go to trial like you you wouldn't want to know who who fingered you basically (laughs) (laughs) Um, (laughs) but then i thought to myself but then this is bobby bobby is kind of like this renegade old type of sheriff with his cowboy hat he might be like you know oh i can do this nothing can stop me and ultimately find out he's on a bit of a <laughs> suicide Kam- mission. Like a kamikaze yeah. type mission. <laughs> <laughs> because he's on his way out so he doesn't care but i totally agree with you because i took everything but it was very happened... convenient wasn't it yeah did you not did you not just think the whole way through that's convenient well that's convenient <laughs> but of course it is because i think it's quite telling that for me the most powerful part of the story within the story the novel part was actually the situation when it was happening you know what i mean like the actual yeah, incident the yeah everything after even though i was totally engaged because jake Hall is such a fantastic actor and michael shannon was really good in this yes yeah he is very underrated in my opinion and we'll get on to him in a bit later because he's for me is the saving grace of the toxic masculinity theme that this film brings up but for me the whole second half of that story you're right, it just felt very convenient, but I'd like your reasoning that this is because it's a novella and it's his first draft. It's not like it's not meant to be as clean cut and as well drafted and as and no. as convincing as the story as the film, as the you know, as Susan's story. Um but I also felt like do you know what? I feel like you could literally psychoanalyze that that Texas um story until you're blue in the face because even just like I was watching and I was just thinking like I feel, I don't know this, and maybe I missed it in the movie, but I feel like his dad, because it says a lot about his dad dying and that uh, Susan's mother helped him through it and all this. And I feel like his dad probably died of lung cancer. Interesting. In the same way that Bobby was. Yeah. And I think what he was trying to say in the novel was that he wanted his dad to have been there for him at that time. 
to hold his hand through it, to go and find the, the, the bad guys that, you know, upset him, to, to make it all better again with no consequences, like a, like a father does. I never considered that, but that's, yeah, you've got punched me there. <laughs> <laughs> Pow. That's so upsetting, yeah. I know, like, because everything that, that Bobby was doing, I mean, in the beginning, he was quite gruff, and I was thinking, oh, God, here we go. But he definitely, like, just serves as this kind of, almost like a, oh, what's, what's the name of the angel thing in Mr. Wonderful Life? Clarence or whatever. Yeah, yeah. You know, because he, he very conveniently has this lung, well, not conveniently for him. <laughs> he no. conveniently has this lung cancer, which yeah. gives him, which gives him sort of like a get out of jail free card to get revenge on the people. And I think if you really psychoanalyzed it, you could probably break down Ray, Turk and Lou into the certain aspects of their relationship that he hated that 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 ruined it that that killed off his you know his like his idea of having this like wife and child that he so badly wanted but i thought you know like obviously ray's character is this completely unreasonable stubborn sort of person who won't listen to, won't listen to any sort of logical reason is unpredictable that you're walking on eggshells around this person and i think with a lot of relationships it's a bit like that isn't it like yeah it's not it's it's not good to be in a relationship where you're afraid and you're and you're worried about what the person is gonna do it doesn't really go into susan's like a lot of susan's issues i feel like in the flashbacks because you do get that scene like like you mentioned which i agree is really it's really resonating when she was like i don't understand why you're so upset that i'm critiquing your work and he said, you know, I'm putting my heart out on the page and you're telling me it's bad. And on the one hand, I can see his side in that it's hard. It is, I mean, that's the reason I don't often show Rich much stuff because I I worry about what he's going to think. Because it is, it's part of you. Like what you do, what you do in your art, in your, you know, career, whatever, it is a part of you. And if someone critiques it, it's hard not to take it personally. Especially someone who's, like, so close to you. Exactly. Someone that you've, like, just, you know, decided to spend the rest of your life with, essentially. And that's what Edward and Susan, by them marrying so young, they've made that commitment to each other, like, from an early age. Like, really early on, they're sort of saying, like, I love you so much, I want to be with you. So if you're kind of, like, you know, lack of a better word, but stuck in this marriage... The fact that you are then being hurt so, like, rawly by this person to dealing with something that's so creative. Yeah. It's tough. And I did find myself... I I did feel for Susan in this film, ultimately, because especially where it ended. But I feel for them both. But I think I can identify with Edward more. So I found sort of things that she was doing to him. But you know what? It's tough. Because I'm just going to... I'm going to disagree with myself, actually, for a second. Because... (laughs) Because she knows, she knows she's in the wrong, though. Yeah, she. The thing is, is that not well, even in the wrong. I don't think she necessarily is in the wrong, though, because from one perspective, she's trying to help him by critiquing his work, and I think a lot of it actually, you have to. You, I think you have to face the fact, even though we love Jake, <laughs> is that his character's not perfect either, and that oh no, he he could not handle criticism, which I think you do need to be able to to handle, and that's. I mean, she said herself, didn't she? That she's too cynical and she's too sensitive to be an artist, like an actual artist, because she she can't handle it. He's being brave and trying to handle it, and he even says to her, "You know, you don't do, you don't put your art out there, so you don't understand." And all she can say is, uh, "I'm not creative." 
and he's but like you well you yeah. are yeah and she is i thought that it was quite also it kind of sprung to mind if we're talking about you know parallels between the stories because you know how i said like when the cronies like have them on the side of the road and the daughter keeps and the wife keeps saying stuff like he's trying so desperately to like hold on to some order and like be quiet and just let it ride out yeah and they keep talking they keep saying things that make the situation worse and you do sort of have to think to yourself is he trying to say if you'd have just if you'd have just shut up <laughs> if you'd have just not said anything to make it worse we would have been fine yeah you know if you'd have just said oh i love your book rather than criticizing it do you know what? i love th- th- this film like i love that aspect the fact that you know we get to know edward so well just through a novel yeah this yeah. is definitely the way i'm reading the story because i do agree with you that like the cronies and ray himself are kind of aspects of the marriage that he's obviously critiquing for her to say like you know well you did this this and this which made me feel this this and this but i definitely felt like ray was one of the main metaphors for how he felt about susan maybe not i'm not saying he's like directly making this character up to say this is you because i don't think ray represents susan as a physical being no not as like a full-on one like a one-for-one thing no but i think he definitely is an allegory for how she made him feel in terms of being a man yeah because like tony he's met with this kind of like in this world that is texas and obviously what society has built up for us as well we see this character of ray he's meant to be what a man is meant to be or in terms of what the toxic masculinity hierarchy deems to be socially the alpha male you know he's he's young he's attractive he's like physically imposing Mm. and he can assert his dominance and his masculinity over other people and even though jake jinhall is your classic hollywood actor you know good looking all the other sort of tick boxes that he ticks off Mm. he has this the character of Tony has this... Um, I'm trying to think of the word. Like a vulnerability. Yeah, like, but he, it's it's more than that, though. It's it's kind of like gentleness. And what I mean... I think that's the word, actually, gentleness. Because when you talk about sexuality, especially male sexuality, we have been so ingrained with this kind of... The more gentle you are, the more kind of, like, feminine you are, the less of a man you are because of your sexuality. And even Ray Moxis when he sort of like mocks him going like, you know, you think you're better than me. Yeah. And I'm not saying that there's a gayness there in him because <laughs> everything goes back to that. But um, <laughs> but the fact that the director is gay himself, there is this sort of like critique that where Ray is the manly, manly man and the straight man, that when you're putting him against this character who is very weak in this moment it does bring up a kind of critique about his not his sexuality but about the fact that he's more of a woman than this ray if you get what i'm saying well it's it's quite interesting because doesn't he he really kicks off at susan and edward does he kicks off at her doesn't he when she's when when he he thinks that she calls him weak yeah and she says i never called you weak you said that i thought that was that was quite telling because it was like and obviously you see through the novella that I think inside he does think he has been he is or has been weak with everything in his life that you that you see from the flashbacks you know that his dad died um his best friend had a crush on him that he never told him about and then they they lost touch he never got the guts up to ask Susan out when they were younger and all this like there's all there's all things he talks about that insinuate weakness and vulnerability and, and and the fear of rejection 
And I think a lot of it is actually internalized because what we see from the outside is like, oh, it's Jake Gyllenhaal. He's got a fancy coat on and he's all like, you know, charming and lovely and appears to be talented and stuff. And I think <laughs> it's quite, well, you know, like from his, well, no, I'm from just, the novella and stuff. But like, I'm just thinking he can break yeah? back my mountain any day. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I think he could probably break <laughs> every single person in the world's mountain. He's gorgeous. But anyway, that's, that's, that's neither here nor there. Um, I did find it strange, though, that he shaved his beard off. I'm not sure what that was supposed to symbolise because I would have assumed that if he's talking about masculinity that he would have grown a beard instead of shaved it off. But I suppose you can't really grow a beard overnight. So No, I think for me, <laughs> what that was, um, that was a self-deprecating act in terms of like he f- he wasn't worthy of this oh. beard. <laughs> Sorry, I'm not worthy of the beard. No, I see what you mean. Like yeah. when, when, is, when, is, when that happened to him, he got stripped of his masculinity. Yeah. Yeah, and also, because you, you know, in the when the incident happens, he has that sort of like lumberjack style shirt on. And I think we actually have to pay attention to the fashion in this film, because given who Tom Ford is, all the fashion which is chosen by this director, it's not going to be by mistake. It's going to be on purpose because fashion connotes so many different things. Yes. And you can tell that he is proud of his Texas background because in the past scenes that we see, like the flashbacks to when Susan and him are first dating or sort of like having their will they, won't they moments. Um, like he's he's very dressed kind of like lumberjacky and sort of like old country type. Yeah. And for the character of Edward, I think that's a way of him showing his masculinity through his clothing, even though him himself is quite like... The word that I love that they use in this, because I'm going to bring it up now, is romantic. Because mm. it gets brought up when um susan and her mother are talking which i love that scene so much yeah yeah (laughs) so much is said through not being said or it's said in different ways and she definitely warns her daughter but when i was watching it i was getting annoyed and i think you are meant to get annoyed because you're meant to be on susan's side but in hindsight the things that she says she's just warning her daughter that this man probably isn't for you because she knows who her daughter is because you know when she says we all become our mother yeah yeah and if this woman knows who her daughter is because she knows who she is she's warning her that you know this isn't the guy for you because you're cynical you're this you're that you're not creative and this guy is everything that you're not and you're not gonna you know you're gonna bump heads rather than meet in the middle but then at the same time i found myself annoyed with her because i was listening to what susan was saying and susan was sort of saying stuff like you know in that scene when she talks to Edward in the uh, New York bar in the restaurant when she basically said that my parents are all the ists you know they're racist they're yeah, fascist yeah. that sort of thing and the story about Cooper her brother and the fact that he comes out later in life and is sort of basically disowned by them you're meant to take what Susan is saying as a kind of a sort of like not knock on her character but sort of like a plus to her character in that she stood by her brother which therefore makes her a good person in the eyes of the film. And also, so when she's confronting her mother, you're kind of like, yeah, you tell her. You know, she's wrong. She doesn't know who you are. You know, you go marry Dashing Jake, you know. <laughs> I actually think, unfortunately, if it wasn't for the external external influences, like her mum and Dashing, Dashing Hutton and her eco- like economical situation and stuff, that I think actually they would have been happy. I think if she had just let herself go and just been like been a bit vulnerable with him and been a bit more sympathetic to him then actually they could have had a very a very like blossoming relationship but she let a lot of things get in her way 
I think. Yeah, and I think what Laura... Is it Laura Linney who plays her yeah. mother? Yeah, what her character signifies is this kind of other component of, of judging masculinity because she represents this place of money. And she's trying to say to her daughter, you've been raised to have a certain... Lifestyle. <laughs> lifestyle. Because I think Susan's right when her mother says to her, he's not he's he's not on your level. Whatever, what was the word she uses? He's, he's, not, he's not your equal or something. That's it. Or, he's not your yeah. equal. She takes it in kind of like, you're such a, you know... Snob. Yeah, snob. Like, you can imagine Republican sort of... Yeah. Upper middle class woman and you're basically saying he's a peasant basically and i think you are meant to take it as that and i do actually believe that she means it like that even though she defends herself by saying you need someone that challenges you or actually can can give you the things that you are going to want because she just says to her you know it's all romantic now marrying for love and that sort of thing but you are going to want things later in life that he can't give you and it's tough because i think the film wants you to read it in one way but i think the character of Laura Linney's mother, I think she is just a warning. A warning slash echo chamber for Susan. Because the things that she says, Susan echoes back at herself later on. It's just kind of sad, really. I think it's kind of like, yeah, because that whole thing of, oh, we all turn into our mothers or we all turn into our fathers or whatever, is, hmm, what is that nature or nurture, isn't it? You know, you could argue it each way. I think we do tend to become our parents in certain aspects but I think if you try hard enough because obviously like she didn't turn into her mother in terms of like she didn't turn into a into a racist she didn't turn into a homophobe you know she only kind of latched on to certain things that she was influenced to but the (laughs) but the kind of sad thing is that actually the way that she treated um the way that they they treated Edward kind of was his making it pushed him to write a book from the the way that the the letter looks and stuff and like the the way the emails and stuff will come through it looks very professional and that tells me that he's successful susan is an unreliable narrator in terms of the information she gives us about edward because deep down i don't think she knows because she hasn't been keeping track of him because you know when she talks about edward to hutton right at the start of the film saying that um oh i believe he's teaching somewhere in texas i don't know whether or not he remarried or not yeah doesn't mean he didn't like he doesn't mean no. that he he because he could be perfectly he married could be really with that. content, yeah. Yeah, and the reason what makes me believe that he probably uh, I can't see I'm undecided whether he is or not because of the way that Tony ends, like his character dying. I I saw that as like that character was a representation of all of his like insecurities. I think he realised that once once Tony kills um, Ray, he can let go of all of that like hatred and pain and insecurity and i think his way of killing off the character isn't telling susan oh you've won you know you killed me off you ended me i think he's saying you killed off the the insecurity in me now i'm free i would like to think so <laughs> me too i think i think the bit at the end where she um so he invites her for dinner um to talk about the book i guess and she she dolls up and all that, and you can t- you can tell just from the way when she's getting ready and stuff that she's nervous and excited, and that she she has kind of realised throughout reading the the novel that you know some of the things that we've talked about. I think that she kind of realised like okay, that's how he was feeling. I could have done this better. I could you know I really hurt him. Blah 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 blah. And she's realised you know how talented he is and all this. So when she's left waiting at the end, 
I kind of almost feel like he won. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like he doesn't do anything to her. He doesn't. He doesn't shoot her. He doesn't stab her. He doesn't. He doesn't turn up at her house and hurl insults at her. He just doesn't. He just rejects her. And I think that's so poignant and sad, and kind of just like I. 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 Just, I felt sorry for her character to be honest, because I thought she's allowed things. She's allowed her cynicism and her outside influences from her from her society to ruin what could have been amazing. And I think she realizes that as she sits there and waits for him and he just doesn't turn up. And he, I wouldn't say that he's trying to humiliate her. I think he's just, by not turning up, he's just saying like, we're done. And I want you to sit here and think about what you've done. (laughs) (laughs) Sit on the naughty step. Yeah, yeah, kind of. I mean, I don't think that Edward is meant to be written as wholly sympathetic. I think there are certainly things about his character that are like questionable and you feel sorry for him about and you know you sort of think well maybe if you'd been a bit a bit more you know open to criticism and a bit less you know this that and the other but I think the fact that I think the fact that she aborted his child spoke a lot for how desperate she was to get out of that relationship because if you have a baby with someone you're stuck with them forever in, in one way or another aren't you and I think she had just gotten so brainwashed by her by her mother, you know she didn't want to be, and by you know dashing Hutton, who promised her the world. So dashing, so dashing. <laughs> um, I mean, I thought I just thought it was sad, you know. He, I mean, we don't we don't know for certain what what Edward's been up to, but from from what how I interpreted it, he was doing well and he was happy, and that he released his demons directly right in the book. And yet she is very successful. Well, didn't she say that she was going broke, actually? Didn't she say in the beginning that the, the gallery was going broke? Yeah, and I think she was... She, I think you're absolutely right. I do think, actually, Susan is quite a sympathetic character because in the moments when she's talking to other characters, especially Hutton, like she's trying to say to him, this is how I feel. This is what the truth is. Like when she turns around to him and says, like, you know, because the artwork that she has in her gallery, she says she doesn't even believe in. Like it's fake. You know, she uses the word fake. It's fake. And she's trying to say to Hutton, I'm having a crisis here because I no longer believe in what I'm doing. Mm. And all we can do is he, he just waves her off and sort of makes out to her. Yes, we're going broke, but I'm doing this, this and this to try and help us. Yeah. Even though he might be, but from what I take from it, he's using the business trips to New York to go for yeah. women. I think I think the sad thing is as well is that when you look back at the film after watching all of it, is that you realise that if her, she'd chosen a different a different path, even if she'd bought the gallery still, she would have had somebody romantic and sensitive that would have listened to her problems. Yeah. And helped her. Rather than push her away and cheat on her. Yeah. One of the biggest things I noticed in the film and another theme that I feel was implanted into the film on purpose was how everything was so like fragile. 
the fragility of everything in the film from a man's masculinity to Susan's mental state to the marriages that are shown in the film. Everything's so fragile, even down to Michael Sheen's character and Andrew Raysborough's character. Like they establish in the beginning of the film that they're only together because she wants someone to be able to cuddle her at night. You know, he's gay. Yeah. You know, that's a fragile basis for a marriage right there. And then Hutton and Susan, their marriage, their, their love story is tied off of the fact that she had an affair with him, aborted another man's baby and took off on a life that she thought that she wanted because her mother told her that she needs to be with someone who, you know, can take care of her and that sort of thing. And how this man's creative talent is so fragile because it's based on the approval of other people. And it shouldn't be. It should be on his own ability and his own sort of like dreams of what he wants to accomplish. But it's not. It's based on the need that he wants other people to see him as someone who is worthy of this talent worthy to be congratulated basically on who he feels that he is as a person but he doesn't get that susan doesn't get that hutton even doesn't get what he wants you know he he saved this woman from a marriage or you know air quotes saved this woman from a marriage but he doesn't get what he wants ultimately no but i actually found it very ironic that like you said she she turns around to carlos and says you know my work is fake it's not a it's nothing to do with me you know it's just a fake pretense when actually and she and she's saying about how miserable it was making her and then obviously you see in the flashbacks that she said to him you know don't write about yourself why are you putting yourself into your art you know no no good can come of that you know it won't be it won't be good if you just write about yourself yeah when actually i think what the film was trying to say is that if you don't put a little piece of yourself into what you do it becomes completely meaningless. Yeah. I think as well, the soundtrack is to be discussed as well because I, I, I did notice the music. It was very, like, dramatic. Did you find that? The only bit of music that I actually noticed, and I know it sounds terrible, is the opening. You know, like, so when it opens with all the women jiggling on screen. <sighs> yeah, that was weird and uncomfortable, I thought. I still don't know how I feel about that. Um, I, I feel like... I feel like it was supposed to be saying from reflection that it was trying to say that, look, I'm going to put something in front of you that you can't look away from that's going to be there for like, you know, the whole of the opening credits in slow motion. It's not it's not particularly beautiful to look at from a lot of people's perspectives. Not everyone's, but some people's. But I'm going to stick it in your face with all the jiggly bits, but ass naked, uncomfortable to look at, and you're kind of stuck there. And I think depending on how you look at people's bodies like that it either makes you feel very uncomfortable which is good because it sets you up for like obviously the the car scene or it makes you just kind of see the beauty in it and the, and the vulnerability which is obviously is another part of the film that well that's kind of what the film is to me the film is about vulnerability yeah and how if you don't embrace it it will destroy you <laughs> and no no good can come of it <laughs> but what i think what unsettled me the most because it said for instance you'd put a sort of happy it's very patriotic because they're wearing all the yeah. sort of like get up and they've to me it read very kind of like independence day i mean i can imagine what the artist intended by putting that on display you know like it's, it's these women's independence they're breaking free from the chains yeah. of society blah 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 yeah. i get it <laughs> but the score of the like you said dramatic soundtrack which carries on throughout the whole entire opening montage you know from her being in the gallery from her sitting there looking upset <laughs> do you know what <laughs> the one thing i did think was is that oh this soundtrack wouldn't be out of place in inception yeah <laughs> 
No, I agree. It was really kind of like grandiose and over the top. But um, long story short, that's the only part of the sound that I actively took notice of, which isn't a bad thing because, you know, good soundtrack, you know, it makes you feel without actually thinking. I, I want to watch it again. So do I, yeah. Which is like a weird thing for me because like usually when there's a film that's quite either slow paced or like gruesome, I don't really want, I, I enjoy it, but I don't want to watch it again straight away. Whereas this, I'm like, I want to watch it again. I want to like analyze it some more. <laughs> so before we go, the only thing I want to talk about in relation to the film. So Bobby for me is the ultimate kind of like harmonic when it comes to masculinity in terms of how I think the most logical, pragmatic and also healthy way to think about masculinity in our modern era. Because when you think of Bobby, you think of the story of him trying to track down the bad guys. So we think about the ending of the film in terms of Bobby's ending and the villain's ending which are the three men so we see Ray who ultimately never gives up his masculinity he never sort of begs for mercy he never sort of pleads you know for forgiveness if anything he mocks Tony and he actually forces Tony to shoot him which I mean like you said in terms of like the bad novel aspect we could all see coming yeah yeah, he he was always (laughs) going to shoot him that's how it was going to end but if you look at Lou now, Lou is the kind of crony to Ray, so he's already submissive to Ray. Lou ultimately gives up the fact in the lineup that he's. <laughs> Did you see his face? Because he gives up the fact that he knows who Tony is, just by the way he looks at him. Yeah. Especially when Tony starts talking, you can see the realization behind Lou's eyes that he's like, oh shit, yeah, I know who this guy is. Yeah. So Lou ultimately is begging, pleading not for Bobby to kill him. And it's interesting that Bobby is someone who, who, like you said, when you first meet him, you think, here we go. There's this manly man of a cowboy cop sort of saying to him, why didn't you do this? Why didn't you do that? But where Bobby ends up, it's very sympathetic in terms of, like you said, he becomes his father figure to Tony in that he's saying to him, these guys are going to get away with it, but I'm willing to do this for you because I think you need this and also they deserve it. In that instance, right there, in terms of toxic masculinity, he gives up something of his masculine credits there. Sort of shows emotion for Tony. And for me, it was a treatise on how men should be able to behave now. Right, yeah. It's okay to be macho. It's okay to be less than macho. But at the same time, if you are this kind of like alpha male you do need to have some sort of like gentleness about you it's because it, it makes you human at the end of the day i agree completely i think um i think as well it's sort of i think he started showing his gentle side when they found the bodies yeah because you notice that like before when um he meets him at the motel up until they find the bodies he is very very like aloof with him with with Tony? Yeah, because for all he knows, he could be the um, guy that committed this crime. Like he's always yeah. a suspect. So I understand that as well in terms of like professionalism. Sure, yeah. But then after like they find the bodies and that, he he softens up so quickly. Yeah. And I think that's sort of meant to be showing his humanity in that like, you know, he's seen a man lose everything. He's seen you know women, a woman and child be probably raped and all this and it makes him realize i don't want to be a part of this toxic masculinity culture of like using women as playthings and yeah being a lad you know um i don't know about you but because obviously you know that you're watching an account of like um 
what she imagines from the from the novel <clears throat> and at certain points did you notice that every single time that they found a suspect like one of the guys that did the crime they all kept saying oh i don't know i I've, I've never met you i've never met you i don't know who you are right which you can read is obviously just like just them covering their covering their tails right but when I was watching it and my mind was racing and I was like trying to figure out what was going on, it did cross my mind. Oh my God, it's going to be one of those things where he actually killed his family and like these people have nothing to do with it. But he's like done that thing where they like pin it on someone in their mind rather than themselves. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. You know, when you see, mo- when you see movies like that and it, co- and it comes out that actually they were, you know, they went crazy and they did it but they can't face it, so they pin it on somebody else. It did actually occur to me that, that might be the sort of thing it was, and at the end it was going to be like, you know, like Jake Gyllenhaal was going to turn up at her house and be like, <laughs> <laughs> you know, like a crazy murderer. <laughs> bang, bang, bitch. <laughs> yeah, like I was hoping it wasn't going to be that, and obviously it wasn't, so that was, that was good. But I did, I really enjoyed how it made me think the whole way through. Like I was constantly wondering, like, is he meant to be the good guy? Is this like a, an unre- unreliable narrator situation where it's going to come out as a big twist at the end? And there was so much going through my head when I was watching it that it was so enjoyable. Yeah. And that's all I have to say about that. <laughs> yeah, no, that's all right. So before we go, we need to hear from our reliable sources for what the general consensus is for the film. Because I know we loved it. <laughs> There's no hiding that. So Jess, do you have the information there? I do. So Metacritic gives it 67%. IMDb gives 7.5 out of 10. And Rotten Tomatoes, 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 um, is 74%. So a relatively high score on average. I mean, 67 seems a little bit unfair. But on the whole, it's kind of like a 7 out of 10 if you put them all together for those ratings i think that's quite reasonable because i actually do think given who tom ford is at this point in his career in his film career i should say these films do feel a bit indie if that makes sense Mm, yeah a little bit yeah in that i wouldn't be surprised if these films were to come out with little fanfare and then sort of like pass through theaters without getting any notice whatsoever Yeah, yeah 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 So I'm actually quite happy that enough people have seen the film for it to get, you know, to generate that much positivity, if you get what I mean. Like, it's no, it's no like Black Swan. Like, you, for instance, if Black Swan was to go through theatres and not get any notice and then, you know, have a really bad average rating on all these sites, that would be surprising to me, given that, you know, it's such a well-known director and... Actually, no, to be fair, the, the cast in this film are like A-list. Oh, the cast is insane. I know, but I know why though, because they've probably all worn Tom Ford. <laughs> well, yeah, basically. <laughs> I would not be surprised, man. And he loves his redheads. He does. I would like that to be a trope with him going forward, though, to be fair. Um, but do you know what? I I actually think it's a lot higher than that. In, in my opinion, looking at it without any like other kind of things to compare it to i i'd give it a solid nine at least 9.4 i thought it was fantastic like honestly honestly mitch like this has gone straight up into my top 10 of movies i'm i love it i'm not it. surprised that it got because i would call that for me 
even though you know logically we'd say average is probably 50 to 60 range because it seems to be more 60 to 70 range doesn't it it's still too close to average for my liking i agree i would like it to be higher when you can watch a film and you can't because if i'm really okay so like usually when we when we review films if you guys have watched um watched (laughs) if you guys have listened to all our previous podcasts we we're not always the most like you know we don't we don't sugarcoat things we'll talk about things that we thought were bad about a movie right yeah definitely but honestly like hand on heart i can't think of a single thing i did not like about this movie i can think of things that i was thinking to myself while watching i'm not gonna like this and then until they prove me wrong so for instance (laughs) i was so worried and i think you're right when you brought up the fact that everything seemed so convenient in the story within the story I really felt like it was... I felt like they wasn't going to hit the landing. Yeah. I was so worried that the end of that novel was going to be so unsatisfying that I'm so glad it actually did give some sort of like emotional heft. Because the thing that people need to sort of like correlate in their head is the novel within the film, it has so much resonance with the whole film that if that didn't land it would have ruined the entire film. Yes. Because really, the ending, Tony's ending is Edward's ending. So if there was no payoff or pathos to how Tony's story ended. So for instance, Tony was like, got his revenge and then walked off into the sunset. Yeah, that might have been a satisfying ending. But for a film that is all about so many different things that we've discussed, like different themes you can take from it. If it had had that happy ending, which I was so worried it was going to have, it wouldn't have been a satisfying payoff and it would not have landed with how we leave Susan in the film. I think it was actually a very clever tactic, actually, for Tom Ford to choose that story because having, like I said, having, you know, the majority of the story be told by a writer who is not meant to be competent, like, or like, you know, completely competent, gives a lot of room for mistake. Because what he's trying to portray in those in those scenes is not this polished, amazingly directed. You know, it's it's meant to be in her imagination from a book that has been written by someone who is not necessarily the best writer in the world. And I think that was quite smart, really. As a smart way of telling a story, I think. Because it was, yeah, and obviously, again, it ties into vulnerability. You know, it's not it's not the best most slickly written thing you've ever you've ever seen but that's because it's by done by a human who hasn't had you know a thousand executives go over the story do you know what i mean so yeah i mean i'm really struggling for something that i i yeah i really i really can't think of anything that i didn't like so i think we've given our own review of the film already you know discussing it in depth and just our conversation just this moment Let's jump into what we think we will give it. So we normally give it a good, bad or underrated or the dreaded overrated. Oh, no. (laughs) (laughs) But do you know what? I'm just going to reveal my hand right now. I think it's underrated. I agree, 100%. For all the reasons we've just discussed, you know, for the fact that it is considered average given the, you know, what the general population think about it. I do know it won uh, a few awards in the venice film festival um the reason why i bring up venice because a single man walked away with the top prize when uh, tom ford presented it in the venice film festival oh did it this one nocturnal animals i think 
got a special recognition from the jury. So obviously it didn't win any awards, but the jury recognised its brilliance. So they gave it their own award. That's cool. Saying that though, I still feel it's underrated just because it's not widely talked about. And I still think it's going to be a film which is going to be behind a single man because I think people are going to bring up a single man above this because I simply think that they haven't seen it. <laughs> well, it's, it's, it's funny because um, I saw a review um, on IMDb from somebody that I shan't name because I don't really like naming in case someone comes and finds me. <laughs> <laughs> um, but they said that the problem that they had with the movie was the lack of emotional connections either of the protagonists um and they said that it's interesting to find out what happens to them but ultimately they didn't care about them and after they had finished watching what remained was an underlying sense of so what and that is actually completely the opposite of how i feel about the movie <laughs> yeah i was about to say i mean i can I can understand how they would leave the film thinking that. However, I don't want to use I don't want to use the dreaded I don't think you understand the film <laughs> argument. But I don't think they probably allowed themselves to feel the vulnerability that you need to feel in regards to because if you are vulnerable while watching this film in terms of the fact that you're opening yourself to the emotions that these people are feeling, you're going to empathise with them and sympathise with them. If you don't, you are going to have the feeling of, so what? So I think to myself, maybe they just wasn't allowing themselves to feel the emotions or connect with the emotions that these people feel. Or maybe you and I have, you know, our life history. Maybe the things that we've gone through in our lives just connect with the certain feelings that they were feeling. I don't know though, because I kind of feel like if you look at the story as a whole it covers a lot of aspects of the things that are hard about life grief divorce abortion this money there's there's so much in there to to grab onto i mean i definitely feel i think there's a reason why i feel for edward so deeply that i mean i feel for susan as well um i think i'm not giving myself enough credit here but um the fact that edward is so sort of like a creative person and he wants his work to be recognized he wants to you know put that creativeness out in the world that touches me in a vulnerable place because you know that's how I feel you know I feel like I want to create stuff that people are going to enjoy and appreciate and I want it to be recognized and that's what he ultimately wanted and I think that's the like you said I think that's the sort of thing vulnerability that he's he's put to bed by you know having this piece of work read by someone and have Susan appreciate it I kind of feel like in a sad little way that he actually didn't want to have like, you know, global recognition for how amazing he was. I think he just wanted her to Yeah. To say something nice about his work. I agree, a hundred percent. Yeah. yeah. I think him receiving that email was all the validation he needed. Yeah. So the fact that he had got that validation from her, he didn't need to meet her. Yeah, no, that's 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 actually that's pretty much the nail on the head, I think. Is that he got what he wanted out of the the whole exchange. And I think the vindictive side of him thought, the last thing that I want you to feel is how it feels to be left. Yeah, yeah. Oh, Oh, it's so good. I love it. <laughs> so I think we both agree it's underrated, don't we? Yeah, massively. Underseen and underrated and underanalyzed. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, so before we go, we have to decide what we'll be watching next. And oh, before I feel to Jess what I've picked, and I picked it at the last moment. <laughs> okay. I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. 
no, it's a good thing. Just before we jumped on to record, I was looking through my collection because I'm sitting next to my DVD collection. And I was looking, thinking, oh, what can I pick that I think you would enjoy and what I would enjoy uh, analysing? So the film that I have picked, Jess, mm-hmm. is a film that I mentioned, I believe I mentioned in the preview podcast all that time ago. <laughs> <laughs> a long, long time ago. <laughs> yeah. It's a Tim Burton film, so we can talk about our love of Tim Burton and our, and our sad <laughs> <laughs> lack of love that we have for Tim Burton now. But it is a Johnny Depp film, of course, given that it's a Tim Burton film. <laughs> and it is Dark Shadows. Ooh, I've not watched that yet. No, you haven't. And I just checked. But you know what? It's, it's, a, it's a film, sorry, it's a film that I haven't seen, but it's also a film that I'm not that keen on seeing, but I will watch, obviously, because... To me, Dark Shadows seems to be part of the beginning of the end for Burton. So I'm interested to see if I agree with that after watching it. What I think you'll like about it, it's a drama. And I was surprised that it was because I was expecting... I thought it was a comedy. It's a comedy drama. So dramedy. (laughs) Dramedy. Like there is action in it, but it's not your typical sort of like action film. Like the, The nearest thing I can relate it to is Adam's Family interesting i'm very much looking forward to watching it we'll see so i hope you enjoy it but well, to we'll be see. fair to be fair we like to discuss whether things are over underrated etc so we, ha- we can't just watch you know critically acclaimed stuff all the time and it's one of those films that i think it might be one of those films of his that might get a sort of second viewing in the future where people might start up appreciate it more but we'll see we'll see i'm reading too much into it i'm revealing too much <laughs> that's your thing today i know <laughs> put it away mitch put it away <laughs> i might as well just expose myself <laughs> what's new <laughs> i know <laughs> okay let's leave it here so jess i just want to thank you for picking such a great film you are welcome i'm so pleased about it <laughs> i can't tell you how much i enjoyed it do you know what? it's one of those films that i'm glad i watched on my own as well yeah, I wish it on my on my own as well. Yeah. Oh god! <laughs> <laughs> I wish I'd not left my boyfriend. <laughs> oh god! Things could have been so different. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay. So get uh, Dark Shadows watch before you jump on the podcast next time, listeners. And um, Jess, I'll see you. Speak to you next time. Bye bye. Bye bye. Bye bye now. Bye bye. Bye bye. Bye bye. Nice to see ya. Bye bye. You've been listening to Really Rated, a movie review podcast. If you've enjoyed this episode, why not dive into our archives and catch up on the movie reviews you might have missed? And have your say by sending your own thoughts and questions of the films you've discussed so far to reallyrated at gmail.com. Make sure to hit that subscribe button and stay up to date with the latest episodes. And spread the word that we are now available at Podbean, iTunes, Spotify and Google Play Music. Until next time, film fans. Keep Keep it it really really rated. rated.